What's wrong with you? I can't believe you. You haven't seen it? Yes, I have. Hey, did you ever see that movie? Who's seen that one? I've seen this movie. I love that movie. Have you seen Popcorn and Ketchup? Yes! Oh, no, you did. It's time to get ready. Now, get ready. This is your last chance. After this, there's no turning back. And here we go. Greetings and welcome to episode number seven of Popcorn and Ketchup. This is the podcast where we discuss films that have cultural relevancy that everybody should have seen, but one or more of our hosts have not seen. On today's episode, we're going to be discussing George Lucas's film, American Graffiti. I obviously have seen this movie since I'm hosting this episode, but how about our, my co-hosts, Jada, Jay, and Nick Hampshire? So let's, let's go in that order. Jay, have you seen this motion picture? I have not. Oh, my. Jada, you've surely seen this. No, never. All right, Nick, Nick, come on, bring us home. You've seen it. Sorry, John, I have not. I'm shocked that none of you have seen this movie. It's George Lucas's arguably best non-Star Wars movie. Actually, it's not arguably. It's it's his best non-Star Wars movie, and it's better than a lot of his Star Wars movies. So I think you'll enjoy it. But before we get into if you will or will not enjoy it, I want to know what you know about this just from hearing about it in culture throughout your life. Jada, what have you heard about this movie? Yeah, I'll start this off. I have no real knowledge of this movie at all. Maybe there's it has something to do with robots, but maybe that's just my thoughts with George Lucas in general, because uh, he does Star <laughs> Wars. I feel like I, I have really no... After seeing Star Wars and knowing George Lucas and knowing how far he's fallen or you know it's not so much he's fallen far it's that he never progressed anywhere and he never gave us enough well maybe he's i don't know there's a lot to be said about george lucas i'm not the one to say it because i've only seen star wars but i'm not really interested in american graffiti so i'm i have nothing no investment no background knowledge about this movie i've never read anything about it i've had no desire to see it i'm seeing it now because it's apparently something i'm missing from my cultural zeitgeist knowledge but beyond that it's going to be a complete shock and surprise to me if i even interested in it in the slightest how do you know you wouldn't like it that's true i try it before i eat it before we go to the next host to see what they know i have to admit i'm hurt i told you that this was a good movie over a year ago and that you should see it and you still have no interest that that hurts hurts me Okay, so I guess there's a very small vested interest in that somebody has a, that you, somebody who's choice in movies, I've, after recommending the latest Silent Bob movie to me, I've come to the kind of be hey. a little bit leery about that. Hang on, hang on. I told you it started poorly and it, it picks up. Was I mistaken? Don't give Jay and Silent Bob crap. Did you watch the whole movie? I did, sadly. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Let, let's, let's move on. Nick, what do you think happens in... American Graffiti. Uh, so this has actually been on my to-do list for a long time uh, since I am a George Lucas fan. I'm obviously a massive Star Wars fan for anybody who's been following along. I believe this film is about uh, like street racing and like greasers back in the 50s. Kind of a grease situation, but like a more dramatic take, not so whimsical and musical. I know it did really well back then. Like it was based on the strength of that movie that he got um, to do Star Wars, even though they weren't really looking for that. And he had to like agree to do another movie. I'm pretty sure after to like even get to do the Star Wars movie. And I'm um, actually interesting on how you put your point there, Jada, is that there's a really awesome documentary called The People vs. George Lucas, 
where George Lucas was actually at one point kind of Hollywood darling of like indie film, like American Graffiti was supposed to be this like really like down to earth and really gritty and like awesome movie. And then he got like Star Wars was so successful that this like creative quote unquote genius, if you will, or whatever, kind of got like imprisoned by his own success and like literally kind of had to stop making movies to run the Star Wars brand. And so there's uh, this like argument that he was this like really great creative that kind of got arrested in his own his own making. And so uh, it's a really interesting documentary, actually, because it also goes a little bit further, not to get too off topic. But if the films are belong to the people or if they still belong to George Lucas, because for those that don't know, he kind of would go on to edit the Star Wars films a bunch of times after he released them, much to their detriment, according to most of the diehard fans. So it's like, dude, you've already given those to us. Those are our films now. Why are you still editing them? Versus the idea of like, oh, they're George Lucas's films still and he can do whatever he wants with them. So cool documentary for a different time. You guys should check it out. Anyway, I'm excited to watch this movie. Thank you, Nick. And Jay, uh, what do you know about this movie? So all I really know is from stopping on it on the guide on the TV and reading the description. And I think I may have seen it maybe once in a documentary or something where they were talking about, you know, one of his earlier movies. And all I really know is it's about, from what I recall, is a bunch of kids hanging out in the 60s or 50s. Okay. Well, it's we about robots. If you're right. It, yeah. So we will find out if Jade is right. Is this about uh, Johnny Five, like robot putting graffiti all over the place? Well, one's we'll a find translator out. robot, and the other one handles the power <laughs> converters, and one handles handles the X-wing fighters. All right. Well, I'm I'm very excited to see this. Well, I'm I'm excited to see this again. I'm excited to see your reactions, and we will pick this up in just a moment for listeners at home, and in about a week for us in real life. So enjoy the movie. We'll talk soon. Sounds good, lady y'all. Late. Bye. Sit on it. Is there a problem here, sir? I just want to watch the movie. I'm only going to say this one more time, sir. What was it like? I'll tell you everything I remember. What do you say? I have a microphone and you don't. Let's talk about something important. Let's go. Let's go. I'm bored. Let's go. Welcome back. All right. So it's been a little bit of time since we recorded our introduction and we've all watched the movie. So everyone in the audience... Have a popsicle and let's have a listen, shall we? All right. So Jada, Jay, Nick, you've all experienced this motion picture for the first time. This motion picture that's considered one of the top movies of the 20th century. So did it live up to that hype, Jay? No way. No way. Oh, can you give us some brief thoughts? Why would it be one of the top movies of the 20th century? Well, just just give us your overall impression of uh, watching the movie. It was okay. I I, I thought it was an all right movie. I, I just kind of moved kind of slow again for me i think the pace the only cool thing i really liked and or enjoyed was the the soundtrack it was way better than that other fucking movie that we watched recently <laughs> i did love the soundtrack for this movie how the dare sound- you <laughs> the soundtrack was really cool a lot of cool like 50s 60s like bebop yeah. like mm-hmm. stuff you'd hear in a diner like stuff you'd hear like from la bamba like all kind of mixed in uh it was a really cool soundtrack I mean, I thought it was okay movie. I just, I don't think it was one of the top movies of the 20th century. That's for fucking sure. Well, top 100. No way. Okay, fair. Jada, what were your initial impressions of American Graffiti? I mean, I have to agree with Jay. However, I think I disliked it probably more than most people here. It was a fine movie overall as a, like, 
as a structure person, I really enjoyed it. It followed the hero's journey pretty much to a T, but that's just what we've come to know of George Lucas. I definitely have some thoughts that I want to get into about this, but overall, I thought it was fine. The acting was serviceable for its time and for what it was. It really gave me some insight into George Lucas as a person, and we'll definitely get into that in a little bit. But I mean, overall, I was just like, I was meh. I mean, The Graduate was a better film from this, but like they were trying to be The Graduate in some respects. <laughs> So I don't know. Uh, it's definitely not a bad film. There were very few robots, which is the main thing that I was really surprised about because that's what I thought this movie was about. I thought George Lucas did nothing but robots. Richie Cunningham wasn't a robot in that? Oh, he might have been. Like one of those Westworld <laughs> replicas. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of The Graduate, I was thinking that that scene on the plane at the end, that would have been perfect for Sound of Silence right there. <laughs> oh, absolutely. We Somebody should edit that in. Let's call Tab, see what he's up to. <laughs> Love it. All right, Nick, your impressions of the movie? I was pretty surprised that I liked it as much as I did. Uh, I was vaguely familiar with what the film was about, and the topic seemed fine enough, but not particularly interesting to me. But I thought it was really cool. And like I personally, actually, I think I got why it was maybe so influential and uh, imperative to films going forward. I actually did look up a, a bit afterwards just to kind of get like an idea for why it was as uh, impactful as people were suggesting. And they really brought attention to how, and I don't, I don't know if he is the first person to do a story like this, but the idea of not so much following one character's journey through it, but actually like the events of a whole like location was pretty rad. You know, I mean, even films like Pulp Fiction or something like that later would be influenced by films like this if it really was one of the first films that kind of broke the narrative up that way. So I can see why it would be so influential. And I actually like found it to be a lot more charming than I was expecting. I didn't think it was super well shot, aesthetically speaking, but the characters were great. The story was cool. Everything was really charming. And yeah, I thought it was rad. Right. And I guess speaking of how it was shot, I guess they made it look more documentary style on purpose to keep the budget lower. See, that's kind of what I figured. And that was the thing I was thinking about was like the, the, the thing I noticed at first mostly seemed to be the lighting. It seemed very lit or it seemed to lit rather poorly. And I was like, and I can't tell if this is an intentional because like you watch The Graduate, right? And there's some like pretty heavy shadows and that, but it's clearly very intentional. And that was dope. And that was dope. But you watch this movie and a lot of the shadows were crossing people's faces and things just didn't seem lit super well. And I was thinking like, I don't think it's intentionally done. It looks just like they just didn't have the budget for it. So they were doing what they could. So it did Makes give sense, it a yeah. bit more, I guess you like you said, a bit more of like documentary style-esque, I guess. But it, it played off a little more like you just didn't have the money or know how to light it, light it properly. But overall, right. it didn't take away. It just it stopped it from being like a, wow, what a like spectacle I'm watching. But it definitely did feel more like, cool, This I'm like I'm in it with them a little bit, I guess. So that was kind of cool, I suppose. I like that. All right. So let's jump to some scenes that we liked. So Jada, let's start with you. Any scenes kind of stand out for you? I liked the meeting with the Wolfman scene, the popsicle scene. <laughs> it's clear that he was the Wolfman, right? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yes. All right. So, you know, that was great. I mean, his that character was on his little journey there, and that's kind of where he gets his little turnaround, and he finally gets a win for Kurt. So that was a good scene. I liked the arcade scene in a way, but there's like more there that I can unpack, but the arcade scene and meeting with the people in the... It gave you a little bit more background into Kurt and the the people conflicted. Some of them wanted him to be a pharaoh, kind of. Some of them wanted to, him to be a moose. So right, the, the pharaoh-moose dilemma background. is one that we all have to face every, every <laughs> once in a while in our lives. So Jada, would you say that you're a pharaoh or a moose? I mean, I would definitely feel more pharaoh in this regard. Uh, if No, 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 no. I am moose. I'm a moose. 
Pharaohs. I did not dig the Pharaohs at all. And we'll get into that. Can I say something? You may. I I'm sorry, but I mean, back <laughs> in the 50s and 60s, they did they really do this stuff with these these names and like these gang names and they all wore them on their jackets like like, hey, man, we're the fucking lightning bolts, man. Yeah, dude, for the sure. The greaser gangs. Yeah, no, totally. Like, you don't fuck with us, dude. They couldn't play Madden <laughs> back then, so they had to do something. Yeah, we're, we're the thunderstruck. Oh, times were just different, I guess. I got a switchblade, and I got a comb, and I got a jacket with my gang's name on it, and we drive around and harass people. That's true. For sure, man. I, he kind of deserved to be harassed. He shouldn't have just been sitting on a random dude's car. I agree. You don't do that. The punishment didn't match the crime, but it's you true. don't do that. I mean, he was he was feeling bummed out, though, yeah. you know? All right, so we'll, we'll, right. He we'll had his mind in other things. Later on. So, Jay, any scenes that you enjoyed? I especially loved the part where he got mooned. They need to bring mooning back, I think. Oh, yeah. Why don't we do that more often? Do we need to let the listeners know for the kids out there that might not know what mooning is since it seems to have fallen out of uh, mm, popularity? That is a good point. Jay, what is mooning? <laughs> it's uh, when you drop your, your drawers. And uh, I guess in this case, it was in the movie where the butt was pressed against the, the window there. I think it's called a canned ham. Is that what they call that one? Pressed ham. Pressed ham. Or a can yeah. Pressed ham. Or a pressed that's, ham, uh, yeah. That's the old thing that they used to do back in the day. It was, a, yeah, it was an interesting form of cultural communication back in the 50s. Um, <laughs> one would press their buttocks up against the glass of a vehicle in an effort to debase it was kind of like a opposite them. It was kind of like a moving, like a moving. Ha <laughs> uh, if, ha. If you like mooning, then you'll love Slapshot. All the butts. Give them to Jay. <laughs> Jay, any other scenes you liked besides the mooning? Uh, I liked the, the racing scene, of course. Okay, yeah. It was, At the end there. It was a pretty quick race, but yeah, it worked. As they tend to be. Nick, any scenes that stood out for you? I really liked the scene where the guy with the fastest car. What's his uh, name? Oh, Mil oh, that guy. Yeah, Milner? John Milner. John Milner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and the girl he like, and <laughs> we'll talk about that later, I guess. But like the, the, the random little girl that jumps yeah. in his car. <laughs> They're like hanging out for yeah, the night. Yeah, that's kind of weird. Uh, when they... Yeah, super weird. But um, but I really like the scene when they jump out and they're fucking with that other car because they threw the water balloon. I thought it was like a cool scene and it was I thought shot really cool. And they had the um spotlights going on in the background. And so that scene had like really cool lighting going on. It looked very like, I don't know, like a fantasy moment kind of. It was really I aesthetically speaking, I really like that scene. It was really cool. Agreed 100 percent, Nick. That was awesome. And like that was probably the best scene of that character segment. Yeah, it was just aside from the race at the end. But like, obviously, like John said, that's kind of short and. I feel like it's intended to be short. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I like that. It was like, you know, him and that character are kind of like getting along. They're having fun. It's like lighthearted. I mean, like nothing like super bad is happening. So it, it really like shows the, the fun parts of the evening and stuff like that, like pranking, but not like no one's getting hurt and stuff. So it was cool. And like I said, just aesthetically speaking, I was just really like kind of captivated with how the light was working in that scene. So uh, I really like that. I really liked the cop car getting the freaking <laughs> axle yanked the fuck out of the car. That was sick. Yeah, I think that was pretty much as far as like specific scenes that I like. But overall, I thought it was pretty rad. I, I liked a lot of it. I liked a lot of the language. And I know like it's just of the time, but like I, I wrote down some of my faves that like I don't feel like have really uh, made it through the, the decades. I just calling people a creep, I feel like has maybe fallen out a bit, but I think that was really used pretty well in here. Knuckle sandwich, calling people a turkey. Bitch. The little girl saying creamy. Bitchin. Yeah, bitchin, for sure. Or boss. That's super boss. I thought bitchin was a I thought bitchin was an 80s thing, no? Well, this movie was made in the 70s, so and it takes place in the 60s. So it was all about bitchin' it, yeah. Camaros and stuff. 
it still stuck around in the 80s, so it had lasting power. So I really liked the scene when Toad was trying to get people to buy him beer at the liquor store. Okay, I was going to say and that one too, actually. I liked when that guy was just like, yeah, sure, I'll get it for you. The guy throws that in and then he runs because he robbed the place. Yeah. I absolutely hated that scene because I thought it was tonally inconsistent and made it feel like a cartoon. To, to a degree, but it, it was fun. It was lighthearted. It uh, was... I mean, I, it, I feel like it was kind of cartoony the whole night, like a bit. All right. Well, okay. you'll, you guys That's will okay. hear my mindset in a little bit, so it'll make sense that I felt that way. I really felt like he was like a prototype of McLovin, to be honest. OK, that's no, I have a giant super bad comparison, so we'll, we'll get into that word. All right. Quotes that you liked. Nick, we'll start with you. You already kind of started started with that. Uh, yeah, I got a couple here. Yeah, I got I like <laughs> when Ron Howard's girlfriend is in the car with Harrison Ford and she's like, you're going to race him. Let me out. And he's like, uh, he says, you'll be hanging on for mercy when I get this sucker rolling. I'm like, yes, that's why she wants to get out. That's not you're not selling her on the safety of the ride. She wants to get out. I like when Toad got his ass beat and he's like, they're like, you OK? He's like, I'll die soon. It'll all be over. <laughs> oh, and the girl. <laughs> I love this. Right. So in the girl, the, the little girls in uh, dude's car. And he's like, so where do you live? And she's like, you think I tell you where I live? I'm like, girl, you already got in the car with this stranger. Like, what are you like? It's over. Like, if this was a bad situation, it's a wrap. It's done. Like <laughs> you're telling me where you live is can only it's make fair. the situation better at this point. <laughs> Go kiss a duck marblehead. That was a pretty good one. <laughs> yeah, that yep. was a great uh, one. <laughs> let's see. Yeah. And the rest were just, I think, a lot of the, the, the cool, the nifty jive talk of the time. I think we do need to bring back Go Kiss a Duck. We just need to tell that to people when we're pissed off at them. Go Kiss a Duck. Excuse me? <laughs> oh, I did like when uh, Toad backed into the homie and the guy gets out and he's like, I think we've had an accident. He's like, I won't report you this time, but next time watch it, will you? <laughs> Clever kid. Clever kid. Jada, any quotes stand out for you? Yes, but not like in a good way. Okay. You might have, we might have some overlap here. Let, let's hear it. Trigger warning. You tried to rape me. That, that was like, or I'll tell them you tried to rape me. Yeah, that shit was wild. What? Like the police are there, uh, too much. There wasn't as much physical rape in this movie as there was in Back to the Future, so, though that they did kind of take place maybe seven years apart. So I don't know what happened culturally to make that you know less popular. In a lot of false accusations of rape, though, because same with um, the Graduate, the Mrs. Robinson was claiming what's his name <clears throat> raped him. So like apparently that was sure. like the go-to back then. There wasn't as much yeah. incest as Back to the Future. <laughs> Oh, totally not as much. But there was an instance of not quite incest, but uh, when Ron Howard was talking to Lori about how she watched her brother have sex. Yeah, no, there was that. That was a weird thing. That okay. Weird. <laughs> I told you not to bring that up anymore or whatever okay so uh even more to get into but the other thing i wrote down was debbie when she gets in the car she's like so entitled she's just like i just love it when guys peel out like what yeah so i have that written down too and this is kind of like in back to the future how i wrote oh this woman is like a writer's fantasy of what a girl would say this is another case i don't i've never met someone in real life who's actually said that maybe like women said that back then but it, it is uh very foreign to me to hear a woman say i uh, love it when I can guys attest, girls out. definitely like some girls if you're a car girl like you like that and car culture was really big back then well i feel a lot bigger than it is now and so like we like it, it doesn't ring true to right. us, oh, I think, because yeah. that's not the circles we're running. But like I definitely have friends they run in those circles and there are definitely girls that love when dudes peel out. So then there was that part where the teacher was like, oh, I'll get you little sex, you sexy little uh, young girls. Oh, Kurt, come with me. We'll have a smoke outside the school. Yeah, super creepy. She calls him Bill. Yeah, he was definitely fucking the students. <laughs> yeah. So like there's that's the there's yeah, she's fu he's fucking kids. Oh, my God. He was a creep. He was a creep. 
he can go kiss a duck Marblehead. any other quotes not a quote but i watched it with the captions on in prime and because it's a pg movie i don't know like if they used an edited script but the captions say jughead instead of asshole <laughs> chicken stuff instead of chicken shit drop dead instead of go to hell and bad bitch what? instead of snatch or chicks why can't you say go to hell you just couldn't say it and you said uh it's drop dead is what that was interesting and no but it said rape like clearly like rape like four times in a row john milner i'll tell them you raped me and then everything's gonna go terrible for you so yeah that was just a little neat little tidbit if you watch it on prime they have an edited script that's slightly different in terms of not really any different because i guess that still kind of implies they're insulting people and they're just talking about getting with babes like oh she's 30 dollars snatch but those 30 dollar chicks I want these Monday to Friday snakes off this monkey loving plane. <laughs> Love it. I was going that's how they fix it on, on cable when you watch snakes on a plane. Monday to Friday snakes off monkey loving plane. My, uh, my favorite one of those is hardly ever talked about. It's in Demolition Man. And when it's on the cable edit, there's a, there's a part where he's driving like the, uh, the car and it like is about to get into an accident. And it tells him he's about to have an accident. And he's like, damn you, Mickey Mouse piece of shit. And then uh, the cable edit. They have him say, damn you, Mickey Mouse. (laughs) (laughs) Outstanding. Ah, Wonderful. Jay, any quotes that you have? I think the only one that really comes to mind is he who smelt it, dealt it. Classic. (laughs) Right. It was like used in earnest. Like, yeah. Is this the first time anyone used that? I don't know. It stuck out. (laughs) The the birth, the origins of he who smelt it, dealt it. Yeah. We've all been quoting this movie from the (laughs) 70s without ever knowing it. I'll go. I'll look it up. George Lucas's greatest contribution to society. But the question was, hey, man, who cut the cheese? And then he said, hey, or he who smelt it, dealt it. Any other quotes? No, that's it. Yeah, that was it. (laughs) All right. Yeah, I had one quote. Well, uh, Jada stole most of my other quotes. But uh, one quote that kind of stood out to me was, you want it and you know it. It was like, come on, I'm disappointed in you, Ron Howard. Come on. He was like, not quite rapey, but definitely rapist language. But then they were cool right after. So I guess it was just part of the times. Oh, and then there was the uh, one where Toad was like uh, trying to get Debbie in the car. And he's like, I'll let you touch it. I mean, the upholstery. I'll let you feel the upholstery. That reminded me of Beavis and Butthead when they had a pass. I was just I was just thinking (laughs) (laughs) you can touch it for a quarter. (laughs) He means the path. All righty. Any surprises, Jay? We love surprises here on Popcorn and Ketchup. Uh, yeah, so I, I had uh, one surprise. I was surprised that Francis Ford Coppola was the producer. Yes, he was. And he I, I was reading about it and he wanted to like he's he regrets not funding the movie himself because he would have gotten a huge, huge, huge payday. This movie made I, I think it had like less than a million dollar budget. And if you added marketing, it was a little over a million and it made over 200 million in the long run. Pretty good return on your investment there. It's pretty much why he got to do Star Wars. <laughs> and even then they still like did not want him to do it. <laughs> He basically had to take, I think, all like basically all his points were like on the back end. He I don't think he got paid very much to do it up front. And then he casually, without like too much precedence for it, agree or got them to agree to him getting 100 percent of merchandising, which uh, ended up working out pretty okay for him. Right. And for those listening, we're obviously talking about George Lucas, not Francis Ford Coppola. Also, the Coppola connection. I knew they were homies and I, I, I think somewhere in the back of my mind, I knew they had worked on stuff together, but I forgot all about it until I saw his name. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. So that's that's pretty rad. I really liked, um, again, kind of what I was touching on earlier, the whole, especially if this is kind of like 
the prototype that a lot of the films later would follow of like a sort of knight in a town is the is like there's no like primary real hero in like everybody's kind of adventure is their own like there's multiple almost vignettes rather than like one big story everyone has like kind of little stories um again it like reminds you it's like uh, fast times at richmond high or even pulp fiction you know what i mean like there's no like kind of main character of that movie they're just multiple stories it's kind of like that that night or that that event or something dazed and confused yeah any of these yeah and so if they're all really tied back to this film specifically like that's a pretty big deal honestly and um another thing that was pretty interesting that again i didn't i don't think i knew going into it was that it was a period piece when it came out you know so similar to how back to the future was using the 50s as a sort of nostalgia take this was doing the kind of the same thing and i think it was kind of one of the earlier films to do that as well to kind of look back a decade so is it isn't it strange that this is a period piece but it's only the movie takes place yeah. 11 years before it was released like if, if there was a period piece now it would be 2011 it doesn't seem like that much has changed since then right but i think that was kind of like indicative of like, like what uh the times you know because there was a lot going on in that that particular like era there's just so much going on and so I think it was like worthwhile to look back on that. And honestly, I was reading a couple of reviews afterwards that just kind of helped me make some connections like what I didn't like other contexts that I wasn't aware of. And just talking about, you know, with like Vietnam going on, the hippie movement and everything that was happening. It was just really kind of an interesting time to look back. And while being nostalgic, it wasn't overly done or hammed up with it. It was really just like kind of touching on that stuff. And it was kind of an earlier nostalgia piece when before that was really like a thing like again this almost like was the prototype for like a nostalgia kind of movie to kind of like bring back like remember when and it really is kind of showing a time right before kind of all these characters lives were about to change irrevocably and honestly with that in mind i feel like that last little i guess this is kind of like a complaint but like the the little like text at the end of what happened everybody i felt the film either couldn't could have done without it or (laughs) made something more relevant the the information was pretty useless but um, but other than that, yeah, that was a surprising. Ending. Yeah. But other than that, I thought, uh, yeah, like I was just surprised overall that like how well it was handled. I thought all the stories were really cool. I thought it was light enough to be fun, but like dramatic enough to make you like, you know, feel a little bit for what's going on. Uh, you know, you definitely had you saw a lot of films from that we grew up with, even like Superbad or like Porky's, which, you know, that's a little before our time. But still, like any of that stuff, it's like you can really tie back to a film like this. And uh, yeah, I thought I just thought it was really cool. I was really just surprised overall at how well this kind of film would come out, especially from George Lucas, because again, I've really only seen Star Wars because he's only done Star Wars and then this movie and THX, right? Right. Yeah, I believe yeah, so. Yeah, so like I, I've only seen Star Wars. I haven't watched THX yet. Oh, actually, didn't he do the Willow? I That's it. so. Yeah. It was a Lucas film thing, but yeah. Having only known him as Star Wars, I was just like, I didn't know what to expect. I was like, oh, this was... I understand why, again, if I remember when we were speaking before, people were like really looking forward to George Lucas's promise as a director and a storyteller. And then he did Star Wars and then was like so enraptured in the business side of Star Wars that he like couldn't direct. Like he didn't even direct Empire Strikes Back or Return of the Jedi. He only directed episode four, A New Hope, and then would later come back to do all three of the sequel uh, prequels. But yeah, he was just like so on the business side. He like didn't create or like write new movies and stuff anymore. So kind of sad. I feel like he could have done some really awesome stuff. All right. Jada, any surprises for you? Well, I mean, I already said that I was the biggest surprise was that there were very few robots in this movie i think i was confusing this movie with thx which i think does have robots or at least ai in it okay so yeah and then obviously star wars is full of droids and all of that fun stuff so that was my first surprise um also like you guys the uh francis ford coppola connection well i knew existed in real life i wasn't you know it's oh it's like oh this is that point so that makes sense to me so that was actually interesting to see 
also i didn't even recognize that that was harrison ford right away like I, there wasn't enough time like on screen or maybe my intention wasn't really with it i didn't notice until i saw his name in the credits so that was a little surprising for me even though it's not surprising because i know harrison ford hangs out with george lucas and we know the all we all know star wars trivia you know he was a carpenter and george lucas was like hey can you read for han solo and blah 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 and the rest is history and yeah, that was pretty much it. I was I, I wasn't really surprised about too much else. Um, I was surprised to see Richard Dreyfus, but then again, I've never really seen any other movies with Richard Dreyfus that didn't take place after Jaws. So that was interesting to see him really young. That's that's about all I gotta say about that. And yeah, I think my biggest surprise in the movie was kind of what Nick was saying that George Lucas did this, and this isn't what we've come to expect from George Lucas based on Star Wars being such an impact of our movie-going experience. And especially, at least for me, and probably a lot of other people too, the prequel trilogy kind of turned us off from George Lucas. Or not not turned us off from George Lucas, but turned us off from his writing, rather. And it, it's good to see him like show his writing capabilities in this movie. It shows he can actually write with depth and show characters showing real life emotions not that it's a super drama but like compared to star wars it it is and, and but he can also be funny too and not in just like a, a kid funny way but make jokes that well made made me laugh anyway sorry i just completely disagree with you we can pretend that the noise in the background is popcorn for sure but um i completely disagree with you i think george lucas's lack of writing is on display here 100 percent, and i can't wait to get into it okay that's all right also nick correction nick correction uh willow was not directed by george lucas it was the story was written by him but it was directed by ron howard old ron howard it's funny, Ron Howard was credited as Ronnie Howard in this movie. Well, he was also in Happy Days with the girl oh, there, yeah, who was what, also in Laverne and Shirley, but Laverne and Shirley yeah. was, wasn't that a spinoff of Happy Days? Yes. Yep. And Happy Days was uh, filmed just after this movie. Yeah, I heard some rumors that people, some people were like wondering if there was a connection between them, but it, they're not. Just a coincidence. Yeah. Granted, it probably helped him get that part. All right, so let's get to dislike. So we'll, we'll start with Nick, since I, I think Nick's dislike list will be a little shorter. Yeah, I mean, a lot of that stuff I think that I disliked would probably just be more so how it's aged over the years. You know what I mean, like, obviously, that stuff with the rape is like super like <laughs> egregious at this point um, with the younger girl. I mean, even the fact that the little girl got out of. OK, how do I even start it off? Let me start before that. the fact that the dude was like, yo, let me holler at this girl in the window. And then she says no. And he's like, all right, well, do any of you guys want to jump in? And then they're like, oh, yeah, take this girl. And they let their, like, little, presumably little sister hop out and hop in the, the car with this dude they do not know. And then dude drives off with the little girl. So, like, already a really weird plot that, like, would be problematic as hell today. And then, yeah, and then she's like, oh, I'm going to tell the cop that you raped me, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh, my gosh, dude, insane. And then, uh, yeah, the teacher obviously is, like, clearly sleeping with that student. Super weird. Students. Yeah, it's implied he's hitting on multiple of them, but one of them is at least calling him by his first name. Yeah, I got the opinion that he was like open to and like flirting with other ones, but it, at least it, the the impression I got that he had some sort of actual like connect, like affair with that one that pulled him aside uh, with his conversation with Kurt. Yeah, because he was having that um, like kind of deep conversation with Kurt, and then this girl comes over. He's like, "All right, see you, Kurt. Good luck." Now think back in your high school. Could you think of any of your teachers that would actually potentially do that or could do that? It's crazy. I'm sure. I mean, I, there was a couple of younger teachers like I, I don't I don't think Creepy. any of them would do that. You but um, yeah, yeah. you never know, man. Um, let's see. I thought the fight choreography was real rough. It, like that toad. Uh, <laughs> fight scene. Oh, yeah. Right. Oh, my God. I was like, ooh, come on, guys. 
They were just like hugging. They were like hugging and like (laughs) pushing back. One or two more takes, we might have enough to scramble something together. Yeah. Maybe a fake punch would have worked nice or something. Yeah. No, we'll just put in the noise of a punch when nobody even throws yeah, a, a fist. Yeah. Let's see. And it was a terrible sound of a punch. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, let's see. What else do I have on here? I thought that, yeah, like I said earlier, like the lighting seemed to be a little lacking in this. Like it was shot okay. Like not awful, but not great. Uh, but the lighting, especially, I thought could have used a lot of work. And again, like, it definitely seemed like they probably just either didn't have the budget or know how to light it properly to like give it a, a better, a better vibe. Um, but it was serviceable. It wasn't like egregious. And the scene or the the text at the end, I think, was super like, man, I was like, I was like, oh, this was a good movie. And then like the text came up and I was like, oh, that's kind of a weird it, a weird thing and it'd be one thing because like i said i was i was reading the reviews people were talking about how like you have to consider that like right after this these events like vietnam would kind of kick off and the hippie movement so like had they like used that to like each person kind of went into like a different like kind of historical moment you'd be like oh it's a little more cultural context to it but no like one's like yeah this guy got like stuck up and killed this guy's a writer in canada this guy oh unless he's like dodging the war was maybe their implication there maybe yeah, maybe because one of them died in action. One of them was a writer in Canada. One of them. John died was... in a car accident. Terry went yeah. MIA. Steve became an insurance salesman. And Kurt as uh, a writer in Canada. So I definitely think Kurt was uh, the Lucas surrogate there. So I think this goes into my dislikes, but like. That makes sense. Uh, Lucas put himself into this movie, and that was the character that he most related to. So as he's a that. writer, and that's how his character ends the story. He's also the, you know, he's got the completest arc or the most complete arc. And the movie kind of begins and ends with him. So technically the main mm. character. So whatever emotional beats that George Lucas was trying to convey when he wrote and directed the movie, he then takes credit for himself by making the character a surrogate of himself. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just the, the text at the end, I thought could have used a little work or, or not been there at all. But um, other than that, um, overall, pretty, pretty enjoyable film, I thought. OK, Jada, let's let's get into your dislikes. We've all seen Star Wars. We know that George Lucas, uh, or have we all seen Star Wars? Maybe that's an episode for later on. No, I'm pretty sure we've already said that we all have. But um, the prequels, he wrote them and directed them himself, right? So we know quality of his writing, at least in those three. So when I saw that this movie was written by George Lucas and then also two other writers, and then I realized that it was going to be sort of an anthology thing where we were following, following multiple characters, I started thinking George Lucas wrote one or more of these and maybe the other people wrote other ones so i kind of made a game of it with myself trying to see based solely on the dialogue and everything that was happening which segment was written by george lucas (laughs) i i was going back and forth for a little while but then eventually i came to a really horrible horrible realization they're all written by george lucas and they were all terrible at times even if they were good and the parts where they actually had good poignant moments were probably the parts where the other writers stepped in to fix george's missteps because he didn't have anybody giving him that type of collaborative criticism. Right, yeah, everyone was too afraid to step over him in Star Wars prequels. And you see that, and you see that almost like in all of these characters, it kind of slips through the cracks. Like I already said, Kurt is, uh, you know, the George surrogate through that. He's, I think he's the cool guy who he wants to see himself as, but I definitely thought he was Toad. I think at the end of the day, George Lucas was more akin to Toad than and Kurt and then also, in, in a way, I think some of the creepy stuff that happened with the younger girl in the car was also George Lucas. 
Is this going to be Christopher Nolan beating up dogs all over again? No, I, I honestly, this is literally just my legit feeling that I get looking at this because it's clear that George Lucas is kind of emotionally stunted and stuck in that time period. Because like I was looking at this, I heard I wanted to know what time it sort of came out, like what the time period was while they were all there. And they said uh, there was Surf and Safari by the Beach Boys. And that came out in 62. So that and there was brand new bands, brand new album that came out. So that was 62. And then George Lucas, he was born in 44. So he sets this movie when he was 18, literally doing the same thing. So a lot of these things are probably experiences that he had that he then cut up between various characters. Maybe not the same. Like maybe, you know, he, he steps it up a little bit. But like he puts himself in these characters. And yes, that's correct. Yeah, he's admitted that. Yes. Oh, I, I had no idea that. Like I, yeah. I, I picked this up while watching knowing what I've seen of George Lucas and how he writes his movies. But like, he can't write female dialogue for crap. Ugh, it just bothers me. But I've said before that this was a love letter. Like there was a, I said the graduate was a love letter to car culture. This is an even bigger love letter to car culture. So yeah. I guess I can take that back. This takes the the cake there. For sure. Wait, the, the graduate was a love letter to car culture? Yeah, because he was always driving his car and going to the diner and stuff like that. It was always loud noise in his car to drown out the thoughts. All right. I yeah, I can I can see that to a degree. And they also showed but, yeah, up this at a movie diner takes with like that roller to the skates. Nth degree. Oh, absolutely. This is all about cars, which is a world that, you know, admittedly I know very, very little about. I'm sure there's a lot going on there with like makes and models of cars that like people could probably really cream their jeans over, but it's just not for me. <laughs> and especially today, like nobody at least nobody I know just goes around cruising around all night just for just for There's the fun of just for the sake then. of cruising and especially with gas prices that like they are now but yeah man and i i know dudes that do that still now like again it's i think it's just kind of like the circles you run in and i think that was way more popular back then for sure but it, people still do it like i have homies that are like they're all about their car and they ride and i know girls that are into that stuff like it's for sure very accurate i would say yeah and i'd say it's like back then that was more the norm now it's more niche just like just the cruising culture um in general I was actually, that was one of the things that I was thinking about, and I was kind of going to save it for maybe questions, but I was just curious, like, what you guys thought of this, is that it's obviously just very indicative of the times, but there's a lot of that that uh, kind of crossed my mind about that. We don't have that no. car culture anymore. We don't drive down to the malt shop with our cars and hang out with our buddies and smoke cigarettes and grease our hairs back and ride around on roller skates and deliver burgers to the car, car windows. That doesn't really happen anymore. Also, like the freshman hop, like you don't have bands performing live and like people dancing with that gusto and enthusiasm. I don't even know anybody my age who would be able to dance like that way that they everybody apparently did back in 62. My question was, do you think this was a representation of the times or is it just kind of a movie glorified rose colored glasses version of that? Um, Probably somewhere in between. Yeah. And then when do you think that type of dancing and like celebratory things that they did for fun? When, when did that go away? Uh, I was going to say, I think with the advent of like technology and stuff, I think we started to like people's interest started spreading. And so there's a lot more like back then there was only so much you could do. So that's what most people did. But now they're like with the internet and everything, like you can find way more things to be interested in, hobbies to pick up and do that stuff. So like, I, I definitely think that people were really dancing like that back in the day. Uh, and I think that there are people now that like go to shows and they, the dances are a lot different now and maybe not like as choreographed or like specific with those kind of moves, but like having gone to like 
hardcore punk rock shows like dude the same kind of energy like certainly not like like that side of that sort of like choreographed dance maneuvers but definitely going out and seeing live music and people going hard as hell to watch those people perform and stuff like that true um, or like hip-hop shows and people like twerking and stuff like that and getting crazy like i know some people don't think of that kind of dancing as legitimate or whatever but like People going out and going ham, man, or break dancing and pop locking and stuff like that. Like all that stuff definitely still happens now. And I know the country uh, not people in New Hampshire, do what, like their line dances and stuff. Oh yeah, line dancing stuff. Yeah, man, that stuff definitely still happens. So it's definitely it's it's evolved for sure, but it definitely still it still occurs. I would say. I, I guess though, in my mind, I see that it it happens less and less frequently. Like I, I view like the past there, like every box social, they're gonna need to hire a band, and then everybody's gonna be up and you know about because when's the next time they're going to be able to do something fun like that and you know they're going to go back to their everyday internet lists and cell phone list lives and all they have is their cars and then one day calvin klein will show up and he'll be on stage and he'll be playing guitar <laughs> at this dance oh wait that's a different movie is it just me or is it kind of weird that in our like first 10 episodes like four of them have revolved around steven spielberg like a enchantment under the sea dance or steven spielberg yeah multiple drag races have occurred oh yeah that was uh the, the drag race i thought like low-key was somewhat anticlimactic but also over the top at the same time like i'm like all right here we go and i was like oh he's going off the road like, oh he's flipped the car and it's exploded but both people are totally fine i'm like damn like what just like i thought i was going about be really dark and somebody like straight up died because the accident looked pretty severe and those cars not super safe. Were they wearing seatbelts? No, of course they weren't wearing seatbelts. <laughs> oh, sorry. I also meant to say one thing that I really did like to was hearing Harrison Ford use like young people slang, like when he called the dude man. Very funny for some reason. I think we only know him as like an older guy, respectable person. Yeah. So hearing Harrison Ford call somebody man was very funny to me. Everybody's angry grandpa. Harrison <laughs> yeah. Ford. I broke my hip in the plane. Jada, any other dislikes? Well, I mean, again, kind of just talking about George Lucas putting his insecurities with women into his films and not knowing how to write them it really bothered me at the end when steven doesn't learn a lesson at all in the movie like his girlfriend leaves him she gets in this guy's car the car goes off the road and explodes and she runs away and says steven don't leave me and he says i won't but he's still leaving and there was no real arc there that was completed that really frustrated me I, I don't think Steven actually leaves because I mean, he says he's going to leave in a year, but he ends up being a, an insurance salesman within that town. Oh, so, yeah. Maybe so he comes I back. I don't think he left. He either left or came back or he just didn't leave at all. Mm. And I think that's kind of George Lucas being like, oh, I could have just been a shitty old insurance salesman if I stayed back in <laughs> oh, my hometown. Absolutely. For sure. Not that there's anything wrong with that. No, absolutely nothing wrong with that. But in George Lucas's mind, that's the... That's where he could have ended up when instead he became a famous writer in Canada. And I don't know. A lot of, I feel like a lot of the plots were a little bit trite, like especially Kurt's. Well, first, Stephen and Laurie's plot was really, really boring. Just I, I couldn't get into it. And I was like, oh, OK, so maybe that one's written by George Lucas. <laughs> and then so I was like really digging the Malden plot. I wanted there to be more. I wanted there to like that's the I wanted the police to catch Harrison Ford at the end. I wanted him to learn a lesson and realize that he didn't have to drag race to impress people because that, you know, you don't have to impress the ladies in the car. You can just have a real connection with a person that you don't really know or, you know, would have hung out with otherwise. And 
when you stop thinking about your image, that's when you can find a meaningful connection. Like that would have been a really great. Maybe he's making up for something. Maybe. I don't know what you would mean by that. He, well, I think he, he feels a little, uh, he was the king of road racing. Like his character is actually pretty interesting because at the beginning he's kind of like, oh, I'm a little bit older than all you guys and you're all going to leave and I'm not going to go to that baby freshman social thing. I'm going to drive around the strip in my car. And then we find out that the cops pull him over and they give him a hard time because he's one of the usual suspects. And they're like, we're going to catch you in the act, Milner. It would have just been really nice to have him have that beat at the end. And I guess the closest that we get is when he talks to Toad and is like, he was pulling ahead of me, man. I was going to lose, which come to find out was an ad-libbed part of the story. I was just looking at some of the trivia and those actors ad-libbed that part and gave him an arc, basically. George Lucas didn't write that. Well, he didn't have to. He knew he was going to get killed by a drunk driver right after anyway. That's true. And I don't even know what that's all about. He probably had like some buddies in his past and he's just like, oh, I'm going to put these in here. This gave me vibes of um, there's a Stephen King novel called Hearts in Atlantis, which is also very much a love letter of that time and the confusion around the you know early 60s before the Kennedy assassination. And hearing Kennedy's name spoken in the movie, it kind of and knowing that the movie came out after that. I guess that makes sense to really like put that time period under a specific microscope and like probably definitely played with the audience at the time because I don't think that there was ever really a national tragedy. I mean, aside from war, which we found out about in newspapers, but this was like a televised assassination of a president and the world was just reeling from that. And then right at the time that George Lucas came of age. So it kind of just cemented that time period in everybody's heads. And then I bet a lot of people viewed that as a trigger point when things changed. So I think that's where the rose-colored glasses comes in. And I think I just talked myself into believing that. (laughs) That's okay. That's what we're here to do. So any other dislikes before we jump over to Jay? I think I've adequately explained my dislike of this movie. George Lucas injected too much of himself, and now I know too much. I see you, George Lucas, and I don't like what I see. Okay. All right, uh, Jay, any dislikes on your part? Yes, I disliked some of the the audio. I've never heard you say that before. I think it had to do with probably the budget like you were talking about. But you know we're talking about uh, American Graffiti and not the first few episodes of Popcorn and Ketchup, yes. right? Ooh, self-referential. Yes. We've entered our self-referential uh, phase. That, that is correct. <laughs> no, some of the audio was, was kind of bad. <laughs> when they were talking, it was a lot lower than... The music so it was hard to hear some of the dialogue maybe it's what i have set up for my tv whatever my system but i was hearing that kind of throughout the movie here and there so that was one thing that was a little challenging i didn't like how toad just leaves his friggin' car running or like with the keys in it and goes and takes off with the girl and who does that it wasn't even his car right he wanted the music he, he didn't have like an mp3 player yeah but you know it's not even his car exactly like you said and that's the other thing who does that who goes hey bud you can take my car all summer dude hell no because he was going away yeah but i wouldn't let like i wouldn't trust eddie like i'm sorry i i know a lot of good people but i wouldn't just hand over my keys and be like here you go man take care of it and he, he did go and screw a bunch of crap up too he backed into that guy almost immediately after he started driving yep. I was really worried he was going to I was worried a lot of the times that people are just going to crash into other people because they don't spend a lot of time watching where they're going. They spend a lot of time no. looking to their left and right for hot bitching <laughs> babes and canned hams and greasers. Yeah, canned hams. You got to avoid the canned hams and the greaser <laughs> gangs. Any other dislikes? 
Nah, I just have a, a nitpick. Oh, let's let's hear your nitpick. <sighs> so I don't know. It, it's more of a question slash nitpick. How many fucking cities are involved in when they say the valley? And maybe Nick, you can answer this, right? I don't know. In Karate Kid, it's the valley. Is it San Fernando Valley? I've heard so many different movies mention the valley. What is the valley exactly? Uh, to be honest, I don't know. Uh, <clears throat> so it's above... So like uh, in L.A. and Hollywood is all kind of like all connected. But then there's kind of like a I think like a little bit of a mountain region or so. And on the north of that, on the other side of that is what they consider the valley. And so there's like I don't even know, like I don't think Burbank is its own city. I think Burbank is technically. No, maybe it is. I don't know. But there's it's a lot. There's like a bunch of either uh, whether or not they're neighborhoods or townships or whatever. Um, there's a lot. It's like Encino's up there. Uh, Sherman Oaks, Studio City. See, these are all like I think they're just. So it's like, a lot of a lot of ritzier, a lot of like rich, richer people. Right? Um, not necessarily. Like, there's definitely just like kind of regular sub. It's it's more like suburbs. There are nice houses up there for sure, but there's also it's it's kind of like the suburbs of Los Angeles, to be honest. It's like the urban sprawl, kind of. Yeah, like it's it's like to go to the valley means you're leaving kind of like where all like where everything's popping, like south of that mountain mountain regions or whatever is with like Hollywood and Venice is down there and downtown is a little further east and stuff. But when you go north of the mountains, you get to what they call the valley. And so, uh, yeah, like I said, yeah, Calabas or yeah, Calabas a little more west, but uh, Burbank for sure. Sherman Oaks, uh, all that stuff. OK, and hypothetically, where is Skywalker Ranch? Asking for a friend. It's to the east of the fault line because he's worried about California breaking off. Because uh, he he talked about that with Seth Rogen, and Seth Rogen was joking about it, and uh, he was actually very serious about it. No, no, it's it's serious. All right, so enough with the geography lesson. Uh, Jay, do you have any other dislikes or questions, plot holes, complaints, whatever? Nah. Okay. Uh, so what I wanted to do real quick was I wanted to get into the movie that I think this is the most like, and we kind of already spoke on this earlier, but I can see a, a ton of uh, overlaps with this and Superbad. And and apparently uh, Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg never saw this movie before they made it, but I still I can still see a lot of similarities. So, for example, it's kids who just finished high school. They're getting ready to go to college. One of the kids who's like kind of the, the nerd of the group, mm. Fogel or Toad, kind of goes by a different name this night and calls themselves uh, McLovin slash Tiger to kind of up themselves a little bit uh both of them are tasked with getting beer both of them have something that's not theirs that they use to kind of boost their status in one case a fake id the other case uh, somebody else's car and they both end up getting punched in the face and the biggest one is the that character but just the main plot in general the coming of age the kids going off to college will they go to college will they not go to college will they stay in touch uh, i mean that's a, a big theme in a lot of movies i'm sure there's a lot of other uh, things as well like uh, oh especially like going to the store buying unnecessary items like in super bad he i think was he buying condoms but he like bought a bunch of other stuff too and then he's like oh yeah we'll get those condoms too magnums <laughs> and then in this movie he was like at the liquor store and he was like "Ooh, let's get a comb let's get this let's get that uh well, on a drink too so just just a few just some similarities not that that's a bad thing it's i, I like both the movies so that didn't bother me oh, also autobiographical seth rogan was kind of autobiographical with that one and george lucas obviously as we've mentioned ad nauseum and what's that saying about just you know existence in general is that it's kind of universal well, yes, and also write what you know. 
<laughs> awkward social interactions. Cars and nerddom. I definitely see Toad being a Fogel McLovin prototype. Yeah, for sure. I don't know. I feel like this movie really does fit into kind of what we were talking about with, um, I think, Jade, I think you were talking about it with maybe Poseidon's Adventure, where it's like you're looking at the prototype for a lot of movies that would come from it. So how do you how do you judge it appropriately? Because like maybe it's not as impressive as what came after, but if it's what created that trope or that genre or whatnot it kind of gets credit for being the original you know yeah i mean i i agree with you there to an extent but i just don't know if this is the original ensemble anthology film seven samurai was probably a, a good example back in the day of like the 50s which again probably influenced george lucas so it's possible that they could have just brought it more to a oh without a doubt i mean if you watch star wars you know it's interesting to look at. I will give it that conceit that you can kind of look back and you can see why it's popular because George Lucas kind of capitalized on the popular things of the time with new technologies, as we've discussed earlier in this episode, bringing people, they're being brought to people. They've now got radio. Radio played a big part in this movie, right? So it's all oh, about yes. the Wolfman. And that was... Yeah, we haven't talked about him much. Right. And this is, I, I don't know, this is probably a good time time to jump into it but that's kind of the precursor to kind of everything else you see the radio is the way people suddenly got news instead of print media and then from radio jumps to television and then from sure. television now we're on the internet and that is one of the reasons why things have changed so much and that's why it's interesting to be able to look back and see a time capsule because yeah 11 years ago we can't have a time capsule because the internet already existed and everybody is on equal footing and like there are no longer any more right experiences that are unique to a specific time period because they're, it's all documented and anything can be researched at any given point in time. We all have a similar collective knowledge at our fingertips. And here's a fun fact. All the audio of the Wolfman was actual audio with him talking with real callers in real life. Yeah, I could tell that. That seemed like he was like doing like fun little prank calls with them and messing around with them. It was like the jackass of the 60s. The guy who played Wolfman was actually the Wolfman in real life in that time frame. Is this the precursor to Yoda where he shows up and he's like, it's not me, but it is him. I could see that to a degree. Like this is, the, I mean, it follows that George Lucas, like hero's journey thing, like of meeting the mentor. Yeah. I could see that. He's like, oh, he's just a guy who works there and enjoys popsicles. He's not this <laughs> mythical man beast that everyone yeah, loves. Yeah, Yoda was offering strange foods and Wolfman was offering, not that popsicles are strange, but it's odd to just be like, yo, have a popsicle. Not that popsicles are strange, but it is odd to be offered a popsicle. Like being forced to take a popsicle. Yeah. That sounds like a euphemism if it's I've ever heard like, one. Take a popsicle, man. <laughs> take a popsicle. I'm not leaving till you take a popsicle. So here's speaking of technology. One thing that I noticed is that drive through speakers haven't really improved that much since then. <laughs> True. True. Uh, but I, I do think we should bring back forcing employees to wear roller skates to deliver totally. food. But there need to be need to bring that back. men and oh, I'll uh, do it. Women I, I would do that servers. for sure. Actually, they were roller skates, not roller blades. I, I would wear the roller blades. No, it'd have to be no, skates. skates. Gotta be skates. All right, I'll, I'll learn. I'll, I'll sacrifice. Or a I'll skateboard. <laughs> that'd be new. Or the one wheel. Oh, yeah, that'd be tight. Yeah, Nick, could you deliver food on a one wheel? Oh, without a doubt. I've actually thought about jumping on uh, Uber Eats out here and delivering. <laughs> Make oh, some there extra you cash. go. Well, but, well, could you hold a tray and <laughs> deliver <laughs> that too? Easy, super easy. All right, let's make it happen. Get a GoPro, slap it on, throw that shit on YouTube. 
We just came up with a business idea. I liked when Debbie was talking about the goat murderer oh, yeah. in the woods. Yeah, it turned into a horror uh, movie for two minutes that was there. Great. Yeah, I loved that. That was amazing. Probably the best scene in the movie. Yeah, that was disturbing. I liked again, I liked hearing uh, Harrison Harrison Ford using uh hip language like or he called somebody he called the dude yeah. a dork. And I was like, yeah. I don't know, something about Harrison Ford calling someone a dork is just again it's not quite nerf herder but it gets the job done yeah right uh, it's funny he the reason he was wearing that cowboy hat was because he refused to cut his hair <laughs> what a young hippie rebel did he audition for this movie or did is this the one george just asked him to be in yeah i can't remember how he got the role i know he was a carpenter this is at the one time, of the first ones he was in but, right? but i think i think he did audition uh, th this is just me speculating yeah. but i think he did audition and then in right. star wars they're like harrison come come here come here Mr. Ford, yo, H-Man. Do they call him Harrison or do they call him Harry? Solo. Mr. Ford, Indy. Uh, it's funny. I guess while they were making the movie, like apparently Harrison Ford was getting drunk half the time with the guy who played as Milner. And I guess they lit George Lucas's hotel room on fire, if I read that correctly. Oh, thank God. I'm glad somebody got that nerd. Right, it's funny. At the beginning of the movie, I thought Milner was kind of going to be like a bully to them, but he was actually part of their friend group. I thought so, too. Yeah, I mean, he played a he played like the bully archetype, but uh, you 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 knew right away that like he would miss his friends if they moved away. That was kind of his thing. And I like that he was really protective of Toad. Like he shows up and even though he fights really, really terribly, it was nice to show see that, you know, camaraderie. When just an hour before he was pantsing Toad while he was talking to women. Yeah. Yeah. But that's just, you know, that's how they roll. <laughs> but when the chips are down and you got guys in black, you know, tank tops beating up your nerdy friends in front of a lady, you gotta take action. Fun fact. When he's riding the Vespa in and he crashes, that wasn't part of the script. He actually that crashed. Was a goof. And they said they'll leave it in because it goes with his character. All right, so now I think it's time to get to our favorite part of the show, our popcorn buckets. Nick, how many popcorn buckets does this movie deserve? Overall, I'd probably give it about an eight and a half, I think. Um, I think it worked really well for what it was. I enjoyed the characters. I thought it had a lot of charm. Um, and especially for coming at a time that there weren't a lot of films or maybe possibly any films really quite like it. Um, and to be as influential as it was, I think gives it a lot of credit. Um, yeah, man, it worked better for me than I actually anticipated it to. So I'd give it a good eight and a half. All right. Sounds good to me. Jada? On this one, I'm going to go with a six. It is closer to a five than a seven. All of that really kind of rests on the editors of the film. So once again, it was like Marcia Lucas, right? I think her and somebody else, they, there were two editors here who probably helped make the movie successful, similar to how Star Wars was successful in editing. I don't think she did this one. I think he wanted her to, but I don't think she did. Okay. Well, we'll tell you go look, but okay. uh, we'll check the notes. <laughs> But I can see how it is popular. I don't see how, I mean, I guess it's a jumping off point for George Lucas to get to Star Wars. So it exists for that reason. And I did find some entertainment in picking apart the dialogue and trying to point out which were George Lucas's lines and which were the ones rewritten by the other writers. He made a game of it. Who also should, should deserve some of the accolades for the positive points and remarks I've given the film. Thank you, Jada. Jay, what's your rating? I'm going to have to go with 6.9 buckets. <laughs> Always specific with this guy. What brought you to this conclusion? It's an okay movie, like I mentioned. It, it was kind of boring. 
to me. I mean, I could see how maybe back in when it came out, how it would have been more interesting and like how the the people that enjoyed Cars and at the times, it, it would have been a probably a better movie. But for me right now, seeing it, it was an OK movie. I, I didn't really think it was great. I did, however, enjoy the music, like I mentioned. I did love that soundtrack. And fun. another fun fact, I know we're past the fun facts, but here's a fun fact. They spent so much money on the soundtrack that they couldn't make a score for the movie. So that's why there's no other music besides like popular rock bands, which I think worked for this movie because it makes yeah. it feel more yes, real. They actually sold, they sold a ton of records of the actual yes, soundtrack. They did. Yes, they did. And that, again, just goes back to capitalizing on that perfect moment in time for a set number of people just about to experience the death of a president and the death of their innocence as a nation. Exactly. All right, let's get into my score. I give this movie eight popcorn buckets. It's it's a fun movie. Like since I've already seen this movie, I know how memorable it is or isn't. And it part of it sticks with you, but it doesn't stick with you as much as you, you might think after your first watch. But it's still a fun movie. Good ride. And there's a lot going on in it. I liked it. I would watch it again. I'm not, I'm not in a rush to watch it again, but I would watch it again. Also, there is a sequel that I want to see sometime as well called More American Graffiti. Do any of the characters return? They do. Even the ones who die return because it like it <laughs> Take, apparently it takes place. It takes place apparently no, it takes after, place over several film, like amazing. Christmases or several oh my God, years. Sometimes they come back <laughs> to tie it back to Stephen King. Or one's a robot. Yeah. Oh my God, it's that Westworld robot. <laughs> Steven's back as a robot. But yeah, it takes place over several years. So like some of them are there and then they disappear for the future segments. But I haven't seen the movie. That's all I know. I guess that wraps up what we think about American Graffiti. And we do have a listener comment based on one of our earlier podcasts. They were listening to Back to the Future. This is from Joshua. I would go so far as to debate you that if Einstein was a baby uh, and not a dog, he wouldn't have been buckled and it wouldn't have been a big deal in the context of the movie. I can agree because when I was a kid in the 80s, I remember not really having to be buckled. It wasn't like a, a thing. Yeah, it wasn't a requirement. Yeah, I definitely remember like standing in the back of like a station wagon, and which right. is not what you're supposed to be able to do. I was in the front seat. <laughs> Yo, know, my dad had an RX-7, which I don't know if you guys know, do not have back seats. It's almost like a hatchback. Is that a Nissan? And my brother would, uh, no, it's a Mazda. Mazda, and right. uh, my yep, brother yep. and I, as children, would like my dad and my mom would be in the in the front slash only seats. And my brother and I would be laying down on the hatch in the back with like our finger, like basically like Superman position our like feet up against the rear wi windshield. Like basically, if we got an accident, we were supermaning out the windshield. Like I know I know what car you're ass. talking about. I know I know what one you're talking about. I it was crazy. It. it was really fun, but it was uh, ridiculously dangerous. My mom's my mom had a Capri that the floor was actually rusted out and you could literally see the highway through the floor, which was like child foot sized and everything. Ooh. Shit, that was Flintstone my mom's mobile. Datsun 280ZX. You could see yeah, through the floorboards. Oh, shit. Oh, my. My mom, she cut the friggin seatbelts. You know how they had those automatic seatbelts that when you close the doors, they would come up? Oh yeah. oh, yeah. She cut them. Safety seatbelts. She cut them. And I'm like, what the hell are you doing? That's the seatbelt. So it sounds like we all agree with Joshua. But I mean, it's a dog, so you got to buckle that shit in. Nobody wants oh, to see absolutely. the dog die. Einstein. No, no, Except dog, for Christopher dog. Nolan. Except for Christopher Nolan. <laughs> but no, Doc Brown, he takes care of his animals. And I'm sure if Doc Brown ever uh, procreated, he, he would buckle that child up as well. He was ahead of his game. Oh, so I was thinking about uh, Back to the Future, too. Remember how we were talking about why the school 
is like, you stay away from that Doc Brown. He's no good. <laughs> well, it's because in 1955, he enrolled a student that just caused a bunch of havoc and then disappeared. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's a good point. Well, that was at a different timeline, though, because the they still had the Twin Pines Mall in that when they said that to him. Uh, Sorry. Sorry to be that well, guy. No, now you're now you're playing around with the plot, but like it's it, it's true. But I mean, the whole thing would Marty have even gone back in time if his life was so good? Was his life so good at the end of the episode? Or he the got end the of damn back truck back and the girl. Oh, that Marty, that Marty. Yeah, yeah, that Marty. That's the same Marty at the beginning. <laughs> Again, we're, this is time travel paradoxes that we're not going to solve or be satisfied with. So let's end the episode. So there. what? All right, if Marty time traveled back to when Harrison Ford and. Marlin were driving down their uh, drag race. And maybe that's what maybe the he's time. the one who caused the accident. Right. We don't know. It happened instantaneously. Well, he was traveling from 1955 to uh, 1985. He stopped in 62. It was a blurb, like just across the the, the, the dragway. Yeah. If you if you pause it at just the right frame, you'll see DeLorean and a guy in a life raft, life preserver. No, even better. It's Einstein. Oh, no shit. Yes. <laughs> oh, no. He sent him. He only sent him a minute back in time. All right, all right, stop talking. You're going to have George Lucas go in and digitally remaster this movie now. Oh, oh great. All right. Everybody, thank you for your time. And we will be back next week to discuss something that we haven't decided yet. All right. Tune in and find out. Thank you, Jada, Jay, and Nick Hampshire. Goodbye. Later. Peace. He would go back too. He totally would go back. Game over, man. It's game over. Hey, come back. Over? Yeah, come back in a week. End of the road, boys. That's all I had to say about that. It's not over. The games have just begun. Go!